Hey ho, let's go. All right. Thank you, Lynn Drury. Thank you, Sharapa. And thank you to the Dirty Rain Revelers. Uh, it was uh, great having uh, Matt and Melissa in the studio. Hi, guys. Thank you, Lynn, again for another great episode of NOLA Americana. WHIV is the only community radio station in the city dedicated to human rights and social justice. Yeah, you're right. All of our hosts and DJs are volunteers, and we're able to provide quality programming with your support. That's right. That's your support. So please consider becoming a member of WHIV by setting up a monthly donation of any amount that you wish. That could be $1, 5 $10 a month. It doesn't matter. All of the donations of WHIV actually are tax-deductible. That's right. So you can donate to WHIV and get it off on your taxes because that's just the way we roll. We also have a new line of WHIV t-shirts and tank tops just in time for the spring. <laughs> so they also make great gifts. Uh, simply go to whivfm.org and click store uh, or donate. We certainly do appreciate both things. Uh, your donations help keep this station on air. Thank you for supporting WHIV. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. End all wars. And health is a human right. No matters is starting right now. From 102.3 WHIV in New Orleans and broadcasting around the world at WHIVFM.org. This is Health is a Human Right radio show. <laughs> Protecting people like yourself. I have some news for you. We're here to defend wealth. I have some news for you. We're here to defend wealth. Let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LPFM in New Orleans. It is great to be back uh, here uh, behind the mic. Uh, this is Noel Matters and uh, Health is a Human Right. My name is Mark Allendary. It's, again, a pleasure uh, to be uh, here and uh, to spend the hour talking about uh, all things uh, politics in the state of uh, Louisiana, actually, I have two hours. <laughs> the next two hours are going to be all spent talking politics because politics is single-handedly the most important thing that affects our life uh, in terms of the things that are good uh, and that are bad uh, and what makes a socially just uh, society uh, all uh, is uh, really done through the lens of politics, and Louisiana politics is very brutal. Uh, and uh, I'm very pleased to uh, to have with us a Joshua Feeney, who uh, is a major Louisiana state politico, and uh, who 
is now uh, also running for office, uh, and he is running for the state house, sixty-eight, which is in Baton Rouge. Yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, and you can find more information about him at Vote Feeney, State House sixty-eight. Feeney uh, is spelled uh, F-I-N-I. Yes. So, Joshua, tell us a little something about yourself. Well, I've been an activist for nearly a decade and been following politics on and off um, earlier than that and uh, worked on political campaigns since around 2014, working on congressional campaigns and uh, Senate campaigns. And uh, even as recent as 2018, I was uh, helping in the Indivisible Movement and recruiting a congressional candidate, Justin DeWitt, for... uh, the sixth district against Garrett Graves, right? We and we, I think we had Justin on uh, yes. Resistance Radio, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, he did. Yeah. And uh, after that campaign's over, and we saw what happened in 2018 across the country, not necessarily arriving here in Baton Rouge or Louisiana. You're talking about like kind of a big the blue, blue wave, wave didn't right. make it to Louisiana, right? But it did make it across the country, and we flipped 40 seats, right? None of the seats were in Louisiana, right? But after that, essentially, we were looking at targeted seats, state house and state senate races for 2019, and I happened to be living in one of the really good flippable seats. I've been pushed by certain people in the campaign and around the area to run for this seat, and after a long consideration, I decided to do it. So the so I guess let's start with that. So let's talk let's talk about this seat, uh, mm-hmm. and then let's kind of take a step backwards, and then we'll talk a bit about kind of politics in Louisiana uh, in, in terms of either current bills and maybe some kind of what your thoughts are about the future, and then we'll take even a step out and then maybe look at some of the national politics that are happening. Does that sound like a... Sounds good. All right, so tell me about where you live and what the what the state house district is. Well, I live off of uh, College Drive. In, so in Baton Rouge. College Drive in Baton Rouge, yes. Right. Uh, the district, it's kind of hard to describe. I guess it's like an oval shape that wraps around I-10 near the I-10, I-12 split. It's uh, Steve Carter's district. He's term limited. Uh, this is his third term, so after this, he's done. Right, and then let's take a step. Uh, sorry, right now, I guess it's we should probably say that forty percent of the House and the uh, Senate are going to be term limited. About yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that. I mean a lot of them. A lot of folks are are being termed out, and um, so there's I think it's about fifty seats. Fifty seats. Okay, so that's really an opportunity for us to really. Uh, and by us, I'm meaning uh, those people who care about social and just issues. I, I certainly don't align myself with a political party. Um, and if I did, it would probably be closer to the Green Party, uh, if anything. But uh, uh, but yeah, so so there's a lot of folks that are being termed out, and this is a seat that actually is, is has been termed out then. Yes, this is one of the seats. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's voted before with the governor. He's a moderate Republican, Steve Carter. Uh, that's how I would characterize him. Uh, but now he's running for a state Senate, um, Senate 16. So since he's termed out, it's an open seat. The only person I've heard is running is uh, Scott McKnight, uh, you know, rich banker. So basically I'm trying to do what I can to connect with people, raise money, and build a campaign in order to challenge them and take the seat. So I know that you're super early in your in uh in considering uh your your um your seat here in the election. And the election is in November? 
It's October. It's October. Got it. Okay. Statewide uh, elections are in October. Mm-hmm. So tell me about some of the things that are that matter to you, either that matter to you with respect to the region or to the state or what some of the issues. So listeners that are listening to you now, why, why would they? I know they can't vote for you, but why should they care about you, you running? Well, the way I see it, every district across the whole state affects everybody across the whole state because we vote on bills that affect everybody. So in my particular district, some people listening may not live in my district, but whoever is occupying the seat will vote on matters that affect everybody, everyone in the seat. So issues that I care about that are at least on the table now is uh, preeminence, uh, preeminent laws. So this is the idea of the state stopping a city from uh, passing a a law that the state doesn't want them to pass. Is that correct? So the the example is that I usually give to people is a couple years ago, the city of New Orleans wanted to have a paper uh, plastic bag ban Mm -hmm. sort of the way that LA does. And a lot of the other progressive cities would do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the state passed a law preventing New Orleans uh, from having a plastic bag ban. And it's absurd because it takes away local control from public policy that only affects the city. Of course. And another more, uh, at least economically consequential one, is the minimum wage. So like New Orleans, I mean, I'm sure anyone who's listening knows it's insanely hard to survive on 725 an hour in a city this expensive compared to, you know, some rural parishes in Louisiana. And the fact that New Orleans can't make their own decision, have a metro council and a mayor pass uh, minimum wage, whether it's you know 12 or 15 or whatever they decide, the fact that they can't do it because of what legislators in Baton Rouge are doing, to me, is absurd. That that shouldn't even be on the table. Every sure. city, every municipality should be able to raise minimum wage if they want to. Right. So how do you... How do you do that without getting into the uh, – without kind of getting into the minutia of – I don't want to say over-legislating, but l- let me just say this. Yes, we want a, we want a city to, to uh, be able to, uh, let's say, have their own minimum wage. But how do we – also then prevent a city from like going up in, you know, that's super in the opposite direction from doing something terrible, like banning, you know, gay people from eating at their restaurants, you know, or like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do sure. you, how do you, I know some of it is in federal law, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, how, how do you, how do you walk that, that, that fine line? Well, basically you walk back from whatever, let's say regulatory law is passed a city can do more regulation but can't do less. Or if you're talking about civil rights, you can have a state standard and cities can do expansionary uh, civil rights, you know, like more rights, more equity, but they can't go less. And that's essentially how states and the federal government works. I just assume that municipalities and the state should work that way as well. Got it. Okay. That makes total sense. <laughs> that was explained very well. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, uh, and so h- how would you do that? I mean, so how would you convince legislators to take control away from, you know, are, are there other states that do these preeminent laws? I'm sure that they are. Or how do other, are you familiar how other states do it? Or I honestly don't know that okay. much about preeminence laws in other states. I just know that uh, Louisiana, from what I've heard from people who know better, that Louisiana has an unusual level of it. Uh, no, no difference I'm in the sh- ITEP law. I'm sure it's Baton Rouge <laughs> wanting to keep control over New Orleans. Sure. I, I would imagine that's probably where a lot of that... Uh, a lot of that lies. And I imagine um, activists in New Orleans, uh, especially if they have you know resources and time, 
uh, th- again, this is going back to why every district in the whole state matters to everyone in the state, even if you don't live in it. So anyone who's you know been involved in elections before, you do more than just vote. You know, you can contribute, you can make phone calls, you can knock on doors, you can do uh, advocacy in social media or in person. There's right. all kinds of ways that any individual can make an effect on an election, especially in small elections like state legislative races. And just a few extra votes in the legislature for any major bill can have long-term consequences, good or bad, right. that pay dividends in the future. Right. And I think anyone that lives anywhere, whether it's Monroe, like Charles in New Orleans, should care about what happens in Baton Rouge. Right. We're going to spend the next hour talking about kind of the, the minimum wage um, Bill that uh, uh, that uh, Royce uh, Duplessis um, had. Uh, do I have that right? Is it is it's? Uh, I forgot who introduced it, but I yeah. think it was eight fifty, if I recall. Yeah, that that immediately got pushed into the. Uh, I actually I don't have my notes with me right now, so I shouldn't have just stepped right into it. <laughs> uh, but that was the whole unleash local. Mm, yeah. Right. This is where uh, trying to get the municipalities to be able to generate their own minimum wage. And that mm-hmm. bill immediately got pushed into another committee where oftentimes bills typically stall or it's hard for bills to get out of that uh, out of that committee is a political ploy. Mm-hmm. So as to prevent, you know, in this case, you know, this is a preeminent, you know, this is not allowing the city of New Orleans to be able to define what should be a minimum wage for their city, which is ridiculous, right? It is. And that's that's why there's two things. So you have the unleash advocacy, which is to repeal the preeminence of uh, New Orleans or any municipality. And then you just have a statewide raise in the minimum wage. I believe it's 850 is the number they're talking about. And I saw some... Yeah, th- which is... If going to fifteen is crazy, right? Like to, going to fifteen is, is so low. Like, mm-hmm. like the rest of the world, when you go to the industrialized countries, you know, we're like people have nice things. You know, like we, we, you know, my wife and I were on vacation not too long ago, and we were like, God, this everything's so nice. How can we can have nice things back in the U.S.? It's because people actually get paid real wages around the world, and people can do things like afford things, you know. And New Orleans and the st- Louisiana is going to fight to get eight fifty. I mean, that's just it's 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 beyond ridiculous. My favorite part is the fact that I believe it's about forty percent of the entire country is either on the verge of getting it or is on a path to getting uh, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, right. whether it's you know. New York, uh, California, California, especially. Yeah, Washington State, right. Economists are talking about how wages are increasing for the first time in nearly a few decades, uh, at least consistently for a few years. And a lot of that has to do with governments on the state level raising minimum wage. Right. Yeah. Well, so it's not even a natural market phenomenon of wages going up in a good way. Right. It's basically government regulations saying, hey, you have to pay your workers a living wage because right. inflation's going up. And I bet you what we're going to start seeing is in states that do that, you're going to start seeing some changes where like, uh, you know, indicators, and I don't know what those indicators are, but we'll start seeing some changes like, uh, oh, you know, there's less ER visits because people are able to go and visit their doctors more. Do you know what I mean? Like there's going to be quality of li- measures, measuring quality of life are going to have improved as a result of My that. My favorite one is the one that debunks the narrative against the minimum wage. So the general argument that you get in with people who are opposed it is say that when you raise the minimum wage, that it will increase unemployment because you're increasing the cost of labor. Therefore, you can only afford to hire less people with the same amount of money. That 
only works if you only study economics 101 and don't get to 401. You know, don't get to the later <laughs> right. ones where they tell you stop assuming all things stay equal. You know, they tell you all things stay equal in order for you to understand the concepts and the right. Mechanics. It's like cla- it's like classical physics. Yeah. Nobody like goes and like takes a, a ten pound block and slides it down <laughs> a fourteen degree angle hill, and you gotta mm. predict what the velocity of, of that block is because mm. that's just classical physics. When you get to real world physics, you know it's, it's a, a whole lot of variables. it's a whole other thing. And that's right. the thing when people need to take into account. So, for example, if one business was to out of nowhere, let's say in Louisiana, since it's seven twenty five. If they were to raise their minimum wage at 15, they would have a harder time with their competitors. But if there was a law that said all businesses had to do it, you know, raise the minimum wage, whatever the number is, because they all have to do it, no one has that advantage anymore. And you have workers, workers that spend a, a majority of their income, unlike investors, right. who and, save it, right. which will increase aggregate demand, which increases spending, which increases the economic output. And the best example of that is the fact that California is on a verge of uh, pegging it to $15 an hour and consumer price index rising. And their unemployment is still going down consistently right. year after year. And I and I know of an experiment, and it's something that you know probably should look up. But there was this, uh, there was these two cities. One is in uh, in Pennsylvania, and then the other one is in like New Jersey. Is it New Jersey, where it's two cities are right next door to each other, right? Like they're literally separated by like a river or an interstate or something. One has a a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage or. It was, uh, if I recall, this was many years ago. It was when one state raised it. I believe they raised it by like a buck fifty, and the other one didn't. Uh-huh. And these are two counties that are right next to each other on the border, and they have extremely similar population, right. economic diversity, right, everything. Right, right. And basically, two economists decided to look what's the results, and the result was the one that raised minimum wage actually had lower unemployment. So it caused a big stir in the economic eco- economists community that decided to do another study and that study debunked the first study. But then there was this other study that looked at thousands of counties across the whole country, thousands between states on which ones raised minimum wage and which ones did it. And this third study is massive and involved thousands of counties. And their result was raising minimum wage has little to no effect on unemployment. Yeah. It, Therefore, why not do it? Right. Well, why not do it is because I think that uh, the establishment likes it when, when people are disempowered. That's that's why I think that that is not actually being done. I think that, that when you empower people, you when you, you give them more money mm-hmm. to live a life of decency, right? To, to, and when you give more equity, that takes more. You know, my wife has this. She actually made this great T-shirt. It says, um, equity feels like oppression to the privileged. And uh, yeah, so she made it as a WHIV T-shirt. We haven't put it out or anything. She's had her own one version of it. But equity feels like oppression to the privileged, and I think that that's 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 why we don't have a a normal uh, uh, um, uh, <clears throat> or decent living wage. If you're tuned in, you are listening to one two point three WHIV. This is Noel Matters. My name is Mark Alander. You're listening to Health is a Human Right. Noel Matters. We have Joshua Feeney on, uh, who is running uh, for uh, State House 68, which is in the Baton Rouge area. You can find more information about him on Facebook at Vote Feeney State House 68, and Vote and Feeney is spelled F-I-N-I. 
So, um, so we just kind of, we just, that, that was, uh, an, uh, that was an answer to the question of what, uh, what are some of the topics that you are going to be, uh, advocating for in, in your, in your run. So one was preeminent, you know, kind of trying to reverse preeminent laws. Is there a way of doing that or is there, how do you, how do you neuter, how do you take power away from people who like having power? I think the best way to approach it is to use a style of value argument that many people on the other side would use. So the value is local control. I think anyone conservative or liberal supports the concept of local control that, I mean, they use the same arguments for school boards that a school board in a local community should have a say in how education is done. Yeah, But that's also making the assumption that people are not hypocrites. Sure. But if you call them out on it, their voters care about that. And yeah, I think, I think if you're able to do that enough, and yeah. uh, I don't know if I've just become cynical over time, that there always seems to be right wing privilege. You know, they always use local control, states' rights until it interferes with them. Then they're like, no, 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 women shouldn't have autonomy over their body. No, 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 no. more guns, more guns, more guns. Right? You know, no, 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 no. you can't decide what, whether or not you ban paper bags or not. So it just it, it the states' rights always works in convenience for them when they wanted to. Uh, uh, when they wanted to uh, uh, <clears throat> not allow, you know, when they wanted to hold back civil rights movement, voter reg, you know, th- this sort of stuff. But yeah. it, it, otherwise, it's always states' rights. Well, in this case, it's, it happens to be a very popular proposal. The advocate actually uh, mm-hmm. released some polls about it, uh, or at least had an article. You're talking about polls. the uh, with what proposal? Wage. Got so it. Yeah, of 80, course, people are going to want people are going to want more money. Of but course, in, but in Louisiana, eighty one percent supported minimum wage, and a surprising one was how many wanted fifteen dollar minimum wage. Right, and it was a lot higher than I expected. What it was, was it? Fifty five percent. Fifty five. So okay, that means so a lot of Republicans support that. Yeah, and of, if only of they course. knew that the biggest barrier to it are their representatives. Exactly, and I think they would vote accordingly if they knew that. The issue is. The Democrats or whoever's, whether they're independent or not, whoever is running needs to present that as a binary option for them. Either do you want local control in in order to determine your destiny or do you want more corruption, a continuation of the status quo to stop anyone from doing anything and everything has to go through Baton Rouge? Yeah. And I don't think anyone's going to be opposed to that, even even if you are a conservative, carrying Republican. Yeah. Well, I I think it's a great that's a great. That's a great first topic uh, uh, and a, a great platform to run on. What, what are some other issues? Equal pay for equal work. Yeah, it's still that, crazy. <laughs> it, it, you would assume this is done decades ago, but it's absurd. 20, 2019, It's absurd right? that we're about to reach 100 years since this country believed women were human enough to vote. We haven't it's even reached 100 years yet. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Equal pay for equal work hasn't been done yet. I'm I'm laughing out of just pure disgust. Really, like it's it's unbelievable. And I think uh, J.P. Morrell is uh, sponsoring uh, a pink tax bill, like to uh, allow like tampons or whatever not to be taxed, like other uh, products are. Right. So sanitary uh, or high, feminine hygiene yeah. products are not being taxed. I mean, for the love of God, all that should be free. To be perfectly honest with you. I mean, because you know, it's necessary. right. I and mean, period poverty is just another way of oppression of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, how's that being referred to as the pink tax law? I think so. That's great. Yeah. I've heard it. I heard it multiple times described that way. Got so it. I'm just kind of sticking with what people call it. Sure, 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 sure. That, that's kind of like when people label 
the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act as Obamacare. I'm like, well, whatever you call it, it's the same law. Right. right but then again, I've seen, I've literally seen arguments where someone thought Obamacare was repealed and replaced by the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> but I've, se- I've seen things before. And it, um, can you tell us about what ALEC is? That is the oh, I'm gonna get American, American Legislative, Legislative Exchange, Exchange Committee. C- council. Uh, yeah. Or council. And their so, yeah, job is Alec? to... Um, they're sort of like a nonprofit lobbyist group that promotes in, bills in huge quotes. Nonprofit, yes. sort of like the way the NRA is a nonprofit. Did you enjoy watching the NRA fall apart? I heard about that. fall apart and, this weekend live. What was it? Uh, if shooting Oliver them, North is resigning. Yeah, shot himself in the foot. Yeah, that was a joke. Hey, they couldn't get rid of Wayne Lapierre. Yeah, so. no, but it's uh, just the vice president. That's the most shopping. Yeah, no. The good news. Was the good show. news about that is that the uh, because they are actually st- they were chartered in New York, mm-hmm. so they the, the New York uh, District Attorney's Office is actually going to start looking into their quote-unquote nonprofit status and they can't move out of new york they are chartered in new york so oh it's gonna be it's gonna be great that's interesting yeah go ahead take aim on the take aim whether it's nra or any of these major organizations that are well financed by right-wing billionaires basically run many governments whether it's local governments state governments or the federal government for that matter and they'll just write bills where legislators will just copy and paste and just put their name on it. And Alec is really famous for doing that. Right. And essentially, they, they're an organization that just basically will take bills uh, from other states and then introduce them into new states and, and, and essentially give them to legislators that will then just change the we, the state of Arkansas, to we, the state of Louisiana. Yeah, they basically write bills and templates for legislators that they support. Right. And these, and these are bills and templates that really do promote... Uh, equity amongst uh, populations, right? Well, as they would argue, <laughs> uh, it promotes freedom and liberty, and even though they're the same thing. And uh, America, know, states' rights in America, right. yeah, states' but rights. Mm. It seems they, that anyone who's who makes that argument, it's whatever their interpretation of it. Of course, not everyone else. I I first heard of Alec when uh, they first hit my radar uh, with the. Um, with the uh, stand your ground oh. bill, that was the first time that, and the stand your ground bill was, uh, of course, this bill that was famous in Florida, uh, and that was the, um, the horrific Zimmerman uh, uh, who shot a young man for who had Skittles in an iced tea in his pocket. I mean, it's unbelievable, and uh, and was able to get off because of the so called stand your ground. Laws which are so unbelievably racist, uh, you know, and it's hard not to look at our country and just not lament over the structural racism. Anyway, so uh, uh, any other any other uh, uh, issues that you feel particularly uh, passionate about that we should talk about before we start talking about Louisiana state politics? I suppose the only big picture economic issue that I think the uh, state should care about is continuing the governor's executive order by just passing a law. That way no Republican governor in the future can reverse it by making sure ITEP is only by local control, not by a state board. ITEP is? The Industrial Tax Exemption Program. So do you want to explain that? Or? Basically, it's a program that allows tax exemption, mostly property taxes, for any 
industry that wants to promote jobs. So, for example, if you have ExxonMobil that wants to open a new refinery, they will come to the state board, not a local board. And in the past, for decades, they would go to a state board and say, hey, we want to build a refinery here. You know, let us, for the value of our property, let us pay property taxes on only a third of it or a tenth of it or, in some cases, absurdly, less than 1% of it. So you can have a multi-billion dollar piece of real estate and they only pay taxes on like $10 million. And we've been doing that for decades. Basically, just kind of giving the whole store away, basically. Yeah. In fact, uh, Together Louisiana did a fantastic job with, you wouldn't assume a slideshow would ever go viral, but when you have hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube on why Louisiana's poor, even though we're number one or number two and number three on so many things, whether it's sugar, rice production, refinery, pipelines. I mean, the fact that the world natural gas is basically the price is set in Louisiana is phenomenal. We have more piping per square foot than, you know, almost any other state. And for a state with this much wealth under the ground, you would assume we'd be like Dubai with gumbo. Like we should be able to be very wealthy up to Massachusetts level, but we're not because for decades, unlike now, many states have the ITEP program, but Louisiana was the only one as together Louisiana pointed out, we were the only ones that had a state board. And they basically approved every single ITEP application. So, and the state board was probably the the people who uh, who sit on that board uh, are probably uh, uh, influenced in one way or another to actually allow those refineries to go up. Sure, whether it's campaign contributions or many of them just didn't care, they just approved it because they assumed the whole matter of. Whatever companies want, give it to them so they can create jobs. Right. And, and they just believe that in faith so much, even if logically they're not going to pull, you know, thousands of miles of pipeline out of the ground just to move to Texas. Even though Texas, by the way, per person, they pay about, I believe the number was $50 per citizen on ITEP exemption. And Louisiana pays $2,500 per person. It's absurd compared to everyone else, the level of corporate welfare we're giving to these multinational corporations. So corporate welfare is what you're going to be going after. Pretty much. That's great. <laughs> well, those sound like awesome uh, uh, awesome issues to uh, to get behind, and I think that's awesome. Uh, if you're tuned in, you're listening to 2.3 WHIV LPFM. This is Nolan Matters. My name is Mark Allendary. And this is Health is Human Right. It's a pleasure to have uh, Joshua Feeney here with us. Uh, Joshua is running for uh, State House uh, District Number 68. And you can find more information about Joshua at Vote Feeney State House 68 on Facebook. And again, Feeney is spelled F-I-N-I. So I guess any uh, any bills uh, or how, how, how does it look for the governor moving forward? You think his reelection is... Uh, looks pretty much locked. I mean, there's, is there anybody who's, uh, who's announced or there's only two people I know of Eddie Raspone, some rich guy who put $10 million into his own account to run for governor. And, uh, Ralph Abraham, Ralph Abraham from, uh, the fifth district, uh, who ran for reelection last time against Jesse Fleener. And now he's running for governor. Those are the only two people. You have a congressman who, very few people know he has incredibly no, low name recognition in his own district, let alone <laughs> the rest of the state. Right. And uh, Eddie Raspone, who's never had any political experience. And from what I've seen in their ads against each other, like they're just trying to out Trump each other. Like, I, they're, they're trying they're to shocked. prove to each other who's a better friend to Trump. 
And I believe Ralph Abraham barely raised more and the, the, the filings that came out, he barely raised more than Eddie Rispone. And Eddie Rispone's just like, Well, I'm gonna dump millions of more dollars into my campaign, why should I get out? And then you have, you know, a sitting congressman being told to get out of a race that a businessman is raising more money than him. Like it's a weird situation where you have two Republicans versus actually a popular Democrat. He's at still the most popular Democrat in the country in terms of governors. Is he really? Mm-hmm. I did not know He's that. the only Democrat in the top 10. Huh. Huh. All right. John Bell Edwards, huh? John Bell Edwards. Whew. Would be a Republican in any other state. <laughs> Many of them. But, <laughs> um, but at least in terms of uh, some policies, he's uh, pretty consistent on whether it's equal pay for equal work or minimum wage, like there's many policies that he's pretty consistent on. What has he done well? What has he done well? Yeah. Just his first executive orders, for starters. So any policy that he's able to control on his own, he's done, I, I think, uh, pretty well. Medicaid expansion. Medicaid expansion is the first and one. And then protections. Myself, uh, I broke my leg after the nine, uh, 2016 flood, trying to remove floorboards and... That was the was, flood in Baton Rouge. Yes, the flood in Baton Rouge, Livingston, Ascension, like it hit everybody really badly there. I think it was like 7 trillion gallons of water dumped in like 48 hours. And my mom's uh, business was devastated in uh, Livingston. And I was removing floorboards and I fell through. My leg twisted and popped both shin bones. Mm. And uh, I didn't qualify for Medicaid before, but happened to have been able to qualify at the moment that accident happened. And it's... There's hundreds of thousands of people, now almost half a million people, who have health care who didn't have it before. And I definitely sympathize with uh, some people who have grievances with them in regards to pro-life issues. And, I'm one uh, of them. And, and uh, guns. Other, and other <laughs> issues where his background has always shown that he's more uh, socially conservative on those issues. But as far as I've seen, he's been pretty consistent, at least from when he was running, that he always supported those issues. And he's a fathomable difference than what we would have gotten with a continuation of the general administration. No, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, it demonstrates that how much an election has consequences that if Vitter was elected, I wouldn't have been able to fix my leg, for example. And many people wouldn't have been able to, you know, get healthcare. Yeah. And then, uh, what about places where you think he needs improvement? That's a good question. All right. I think, uh, One thing John Bell should do is try to work on policies that are real majority issues and really go out there and bully pulpit for it. So one of them, in my opinion, is the minimum wage. I like how you can have a governor who's as popular as he is, and if he goes to different communities who generally elect people who are against it, I think he should be campaigning in those districts and saying, this is an issue that you care about your legislators should care about it too. And I think playing that game uh, would pay out well, especially if he just sticks to only the issues. Just don't care about politics. Don't care about the partisanship. Just the issues that matter, the ones that are very popular, even for Republicans. Have you heard about the hepatitis C stuff that they're doing? I have not. No. So the um, Dr. Rebecca Gee, uh, who is the health uh, secretary, uh, who works under uh, Governor uh, Edwards, uh, essentially purchased um, five years worth of Hep C medications directly, cutting out all the insurance companies 
And the idea being to try to cure every case of hep C in the state of Louisiana by uh, 2024, so in five years. Wow. So um, we have a lot of hep C per capita in the, in the state. Um, and so this is really a remarkable, this is something I think that he is going to get a lot of positive press for. You're going to start seeing the hep C stuff. It goes into effect on July 1st, so it's going to start to hit your radar pretty soon. So you'll start seeing a lot of this stuff about hepatitis C coming up. So it's really exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. We're going to be able to cure cure people who otherwise would have never had access to these Mm -hmm. very, very expensive medications. Because one would assume issues like that, like people's health, is not a partisan issue. Do we care about healthy, productive citizens? Yes. Okay, then. There's no Republican or Democrat way to do it, in my opinion. You just do it. Right. Well, the the Republican way of doing it and the Democratic way of doing it, in fact, the the way the, is the way that it's being done now, which is the pri- privatization and the capitalization of medicine. So, for example, every American, for the most part, pays about $10,000 a year in health care, or it costs every American about $10,000 a year for health care. Uh, so it's about $10,000 a year. The rest of the world operates at $5,000 a year. So that other 50%, that other $5,000 goes directly into the pockets, shareholders, CEOs, uh, as pure financial capital. Yeah, my favorite is um, France, that they're able to cover 100% of the people at half the cost. And they still have the highest results. Highest outcomes, yep. By the WHO. And Japan as well. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we're the only industrialized country that still doesn't have it. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. So the fact I guess, that third world countries have it is phenomenal. Yeah. So I guess uh, uh, looking, so it's supportive of Medicare for all? Sure. Yeah. Supportive of things surrounding Green New Deal? I support the ambition of it. I think this should have been written as a complete bill with immeasurable details and very realistic outcomes and proposals. As far as the uh, 14-page thing I've seen or heard of, uh, there's a lot of... um, I wish they offered more details. Right, they're just sort of like HR. Right now, sort right? of like HR one. The mm-hmm. way HR one was done, I right. wish. Do you want to explain what HR one is? HR one is basically just. Um, I was about to say free for all bill, but it's like it's a whole anti-corruption. Yeah, it's like a whole list of things that right. are amazing for democracy, yeah. like you know, public elections, you know, anti-corruption. It is the list of who's voter who, registration, voter easier registration, to vote, like everything and, about improving the electorate, improving democracy in the United States, all in one bill, right. and it's very well detailed. Like you can't, you can't hit it, even if you're opposed to it. I mean, the best argument anyone's come up with is a pathetic one by McConnell, who's just like, "Well, this is a power grab." Like, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. You know, more people voting is a power grab. You know, but that that's that's a bill, not a resolution. Right. I would I would prefer if, you know, they follow whatever she has with an actual bill with insane detail. Like I'm talking details of how the one thing that they left off the table is the nuclear. Like if we're going to remove the amount of fossil fuels and carbon emissions in the uh, atmosphere, I wonder based on the experts, because I'm not an expert myself, but I wonder based on the experts if nuclear has to be on the new table. I don't know. I like to see. That. I think nuclear's got to go. Well, down the road, sure. But if we're trying to eliminate fossil fuels in twelve years, or at least the amount the amount of emissions we have for twelve years as the goal is, well, I mean that, that seems to be a way to do it that quickly. It seems that they have to have that on the table, right? Which is why it wasn't mentioned, right? 
you know, they left that off the table, I'm assuming, because of the co-sponsor. But either way, I like the ambition of it. What about, uh, so what are other bills in the state that you're looking at or following or uh, other issues, topics? That's the gist of it for the state. I mean, there's other uh, national issues I care about. I mean, one one state issue that I wish we just had a bill for or the Secretary of State of Louisiana would just do is just automatic voter registration. Like, to me, that's a no-brainer. Right. That's but, why I really liked uh, Julie Stokes, who ran last time. Right. She was the only one out of you know so many people running who advocated for automatic voter registration. I think expecting, expanding the electorate should just be a no-brainer. If we support democracy, well, that, everyone should vote. Right. That, it, again, that's if we support democracy. Well, I, mean, I, I think democracy. I like to assume when people say they do, they they're honest. Really? I like to assume that. <laughs> Dude, how, how is it that I'm more cynical than you? <laughs> um, Progress is slow, but I'm in it for the long haul. All right, all right, all right, all right. I mean, I'd, listen, don't get me wrong. I would love to see that, but more people voting is not good for the uh, is is not good for the establishment. Well, the way I see and it, the established they have political order. They the don't way have I see confidence. It, if they have confidence. That's like saying that they issues. they believe in free market. They don't believe in free markets. They like many corporate. Of them, many of them claim they do. They claim they do. Just because they say it doesn't mean that they actually do. You know, I can say that I look great in a blue shirt too. You look great in a blue shirt, by the way, but Thank I you. don't. <laughs> so I can claim that. I mean, it's just. But the beauty about today is because of social media, because of the way information okay. is shared, yes. we're able to educate people at a faster way than yes. ever before. Right, which and is you why. Can circumvent them. Right, which is why net neutrality is, is crucial. Yes. That's a major issue for me. Right. Like the fact that this is even a debatable issue. And some right-wing pundits are calling it Obamacare for the Internet. It's absurd. They're not remotely related. <laughs> but you know what, though? The, so besides the right-wing having right-wing privilege, right? They do get right-wing privilege. They get massive right-wing privilege because that is the establishment. Mm-hmm. They also have a way of being able to brand things. And that's a great way of taking something that you, people already hate, quote-unquote, they think that they hate the mm-hmm. Affordable Care Act, until they break both of their shin bones and then they go end up at the doctor's office, you know, or their kid gets diagnosed with cancer, and they're like, oh my goodness, look at it. My Affordable Care Act kicked in. I've got insurance. And they're like, the same thing with Obamacare. And then you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, or, or get your get your hands off of my Medicare, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that, right? I heard that one before. Uh, but the the brilliance of uh, Obamacare for the internet is just, it's it's great marketing. Well, I think we should work on that too. I think it's not hard to come up with a message. I just think people have to try and really stick with it and care that people vote with their gut more yeah. than they do about any data you show them. Right. And if you can reach them in values and you can reach them in showing them that you're not just voting against someone, you're voting for something. Right. And people will turn out. Right. And people will vote for something. Yeah. Because that's even in every major election cycle that we've seen, people are trying to vote for something. And even in a negative sense, at least to a cynical one, they're voting against something just to prevent something worse from happening. But I think because of social media and how you see someone who's consistent for decades or someone who's a flip-flopper, that's so much easier to catch today. You could not do this 10 years ago. You couldn't even do this 20 years ago. Like The fact that someone can flip-flop on an issue and they're caught immediately, that never would have happened. Right, and again, that, that goes back to assuming that people actually care for consistency and you look at the president and where he's at. I mean, the president has broken every single rule like 
you know, before they would demand, uh, you know, some sort of ideological purity in terms of like mm-hmm. one wife, no affairs, uh, or one marriage. Uh, you know, here you've got a guy who's been multiple affairs, mu- multiple marriages, but the, the conservative right wing still stand behind him despite, you know, graphic, uh, you know, display of or vulgar language. To, you know, document. You know, expressing his ability to to assault women and and mm-hmm. he, well, look at there's just no consistency. Um, there was a political scientist I forgot her name, but she said it best when the defining characteristic of our time is that political parties are weak, but partisanship is strong. Right, and from that standpoint, even though Trump is guaranteed forty percent because of how partisan things have become. Because of the way he is, he's not at 60. Right. He's not at 55 like, like Bush was. Like Bush had approval ratings in the 90s. People forget. And even as recent Bush as George Jr.? W. Bush. Yeah. Really? He had the highest approval rating ever recorded right after 9-11. After 9-11, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. And he still was in the uh, 50s before 04. <laughs> I he was actually just... 15 points above Trump for his re-election. Right. And... That the thing about uh, Trump that's unusual to me, uh, Frank Luntz is a pollster genius. He's the guy who came up with the death tax, and he's very good at marketing and messaging. Even he's flabbergasted and, and confused by Trump. Where yeah, he's like, I've never seen a president who's okay with forty percent. Yeah, you know, Bush knew he needed to build a majority, for example. Yeah, but l- let's just to be clear though, is a um, he's a right wing kind of. He he he's this Bengali. He he probably was the one that came up with Obamacare for the internet. You know, like you said, he came. I know he. It came, wasn't him, to be fair. Right. Uh, the first time I heard it was from Glenn Beck. There like, you go. Like, All right. Well, better. that's a, right. See, there you go. <laughs> but again, <laughs> I mean, I'm not remember. I'm not a hundred percent sure who came up with it. That's the first. No, time no, I no. Heard I it. know, I know. But I'm just that. The, that's that's for me. Lutz is not. He's he's a pollster with a very 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 strong conservative bent. Mm-hmm. A, a very very strong conservative. Oh yes, and you know he's a, he's actually a very smart guy. I mean, I'm sure uh, he book, probably is. Uh, Obama said it best, where like if Frank Luntz calls you with a poll with a focus group, you show up. You know, this guy knows what he's doing. He just happens to be a Republican, and he he's not one of these people who makes fake news or whatever. But uh, he's actually very scared about millennials. His view is that, and he's trying to warn the Republican establishment, Fox News, that millennials are terrifyingly liberal in his view. That unless they do something, they're going to lose the country. Yeah, well, let's go. Chop, chop. I say this to millennials all the time. Grow up. We need you guys to start taking over. Well, amazingly, from the years going by, if they just vote at the same rate, not a higher rate, the same rate as their parents do, they are a majority of the vote. Jeez, yeah, let's get That's why, this is why they don't want automatic voter registration. (laughs) <laughs> you just that is exactly why i there's there's uh, you know it's unbelievable uh, did, did you see the story about how in florida you know they were they just um the, the last election one of the big national stories was the fact that uh formerly incarcerated individuals that served their time are now able to participate in voting and you, affected over a million people right it's amazing right yep. so did you hear last week what the legislation did i have not yeah, they voted a uh, a law, or they voted. They voted. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to get signed. I'm, I'm sure the governor is going to sign this. That says that you can only vote if all your court fees and fines have all been paid for. 
Wow. So it's another poll tax. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a poll tax to me. <laughs> I mean, that's insane, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's just, it's never ending, you know? And the trickery to me just seems to be never, <clears throat> never ending. It's just so frustrating. But to it, me, that's encouraging. I mean, the fact that the only way they can stay in power is, is, is to cheat. Yeah, but the, so. but that's encouraging? Yeah, because if well, it would obviously, be dis- no, I'm serious because it would be discouraging if they were a vast majority of the country. No, no, I understand, but but I, I mean, I I see the, you know, I see the optimism, I see the ray of sunshine that you're 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 referring to, mm-hmm. uh, with respect to the idea of well, they're they're scared, so they have to be scared about something, and the thing that they're scared of is something good. That's something for us to look forward to. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm afraid that they. They they're they're running the table, man. They like well. That's why we should be at the table too, <laughs> right? And we should oppose them. Like I'm not trying to make an argument that like everything's I totally fine. totally understand like, that. You, I totally understand. You acknowledge that. that they're trying their best. They're desperate because they know that they're going to lose a majority of the country. Yeah, and know that the country's going in a certain direction. Did you see that that meme with Steve King a couple couple weeks ago? The disgraced. Uh, I know Steve King, but what was the meme? The soon to be hopefully ex uh, uh, Iowa congressman. Iowa congressman racist that he is he had these two kind of robots they were like rock'em sock'em robots and one was red and one was blue and they were the red robot was made out of all the red states and then the blue one was made out of all the blue states and uh and the red robot was like pummeling the 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 blue robot Mm -hmm. and the um the caption that went with it was Red states have, you know, 1.8 billion bullets and blue states have like two. And then it was like, it looks like we're in for a win or, or something like that. And Yeah, that's an absurd meme for several reasons. One, you're advocating political violence. Yeah, it's civil war. And two, it's just wrong. Right. But there's a lot of gun owners in California and there's a lot of people in Texas who don't own guns. Right. Like, and, and this re- idea of red states and blue states is more absurd there's a lot of states that are just purple right and the other thing that was really funny about it is that iowa was listed in the blue robot <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny idiot that he is <laughs> he's such an idiot i guess he classified it as blue because it went for uh, obama twice yeah yeah iowa um all right as we start wrapping up anything any any other things any other thoughts to share or? uh just that i'm encouraged uh for 2019 that any activist, anyone out there who cares about politics and what's going on in the state, if you ever were thinking about getting involved in any election cycle, this is the one. This is the one where in 2019, because of redistricting, that's going to happen after the 2020 census in Louisiana. Just by getting involved, the little work you do on making phone calls and knocking on doors or even donating 10 bucks, whatever it is, can be felt for decades pay dividends in the future for decades because not only would everyone have better districts for the state house and the state senate we automatically get an extra congressman that could be a democrat because we have a perfectly gerrymandered uh congressional delegation for louisiana it cannot be any better for republicans mathematically so just by the governor getting reelected and improving you know the number of democrats in the state house or the state senate you play a role in helping make the state better. Well, I guess one last question, uh, which I can't believe I forgot to even ask, was uh, looking at the top job itself, who do you have your eye on to go up against Trump? 
My prefer at the moment is Bernie Sanders. Why? I admired his uh, campaign and consistency from 2016. I've I've known about the guy since 2009 when he was a uh, co-sponsor of the Audit the Fed bill, and he was on Michael Moore's documentary, Capitalism, a Love Story. I was like, wow, there's a um, Democratic Socialist in uh, Vermont in the Senate. Didn't know about. And I learned more about him since then in 09, and I've been following him ever since. And uh, when he announced that he's going to run again, I saw more evidence than ever that he owed it to his supporters when he raised over $6 million in a single day, million people volunteering for him, that the movement needed to keep going, and the movement's bigger than him. Now the movement has many names. Yeah. That's what's amazing about it. Yeah. Is Omar. There's a tangible difference yeah. in how much this country has changed from yeah. names like Rashida Tlaib or uh, AOC or Ariana Presley or Ileana Omar. Uh, or even Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts, all of this came under the shadow of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And yeah. I think that in the long run, there's a lot of uh, rays of sunshine that we can look forward to. I hope so. But I hope so. It takes a lot of work to get there. Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, and I, I think it's uh, incumbent upon all of us to actually do that work. So Joshua Finney, who is running for State House District Number 68, uh, more information can be found at Vote Feeney State House 68 on Facebook. Joshua, thank you so much uh, for appearing on air. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you for having me on. And Resistance Radio uh, starts in just a moment.
Let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV. We're getting ready to get started with Resistance Radio. Uh, before we do, let me remind you all that WHIV is the only community radio station in the city dedicated to human rights and social justice. 